In this podcast, we love to go back and check out many films because maybe we didn't watch a couple of the sequels or we always have that lingering question of, does this film still hold up? And when you talk about something like Fargo, which was a drama film, I think that movie really stood the test of time exceptionally well because the way the characters were written and everything was so well done. But then comedy films are a product of its time because they really tie into a lot of current events or trends that maybe they don't necessarily hold up well in 2021 and beyond. You can talk about your American Pies, and maybe we'll be talking about that at some point in the future. But for this podcast episode, it is time to go back to 1997 and talk about Austin Powers, the international man of mystery, on another exciting edition of A Cast of the Past with a brand new episode available each and every Sunday with yours truly, Juan Velas. I am from San Juan, Puerto Rico, joining me from London, Ontario, Mr. Groovy Baby himself, Keith Hamilton. Keith. Yeah, baby. Did you did you watch Austin Powers in '97? Because I mean, we were still growing up, and this is definitely a different type of comedy, right? This was this series of movies is probably like a top two series for me. I've probably watched this movie a hundred times. I love them so much. So yeah, I remember seeing it at the time. There are some embarrassing stories that I may or may not bring up later that involves little Keith oh, we watching this them. movie. But yeah, I love these movies. And before we get too deep into it, I want to go back to that American Pie thing you brought up and plead, plead with you, with you, Juan, and from Ryan from Boston, Massachusetts. That's the other that guy. that you'll introduce in a second can we make a pact to never talk about american pie on this no it's do we do we have to do we have to talk about it can we just we don't have to do an episode on it but i think it's a good thing to fall back to of something that doesn't i'm just gonna say keith as you're telling us to not dick in that pie and never ever bring it up in a full episode by you telling us to not talk about american pie do you realize what we're doing right now we're talking about american pie but that means we never have to bring it up again and that's my goal now back to a good movie but Mr. Ryan McNulty the sexiest man in the history of a cast of the past from boston mass did you watch Austin Powers growing up? I did. I, I remember actually I saw the all, all three movies in theaters and I was probably too young to be going to, to the first one because yeah, I remember baby. seeing it and then going into class and like asking my friends, hey, like, did you see this? Like nobody else in the class had seen this movie because they had responsible <laughs> parents. But uh, I did. It's not there's way worse movies to see when you're a kid. But clearly it's, um, you know, a lot of jokes flew over my head that I hadn't seen this movie in so long that there was a lot of like. Oh, moments for me watching it. Yeah, I think that when you watch it as a you watch it as an uh, an adult, it's so obviously sex driven. As a kid, I just thought it was a dude trying to act like a doofy. It's like, oh, it takes a whole different. Oh, this uh, is a horny man, right oh, here. Well, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, I did get that part, <laughs> but there's some other jokes that even you know. You get the obvious stuff that he's, you know, trying to get with everybody, but there's some more subtle jokes in there that as a kid, I did not get at all. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to all that good stuff. And everybody watching and listening, if you're checking us out on YouTube, go down to the comment section. Let us know what you thought about uh, this first Austin Power movie or everybody. Hey, you can join the Discord over at acastofthepast.com slash Discord and join that incredibly amazing family that is maybe not as groovy as Austin Powers, because I don't think anybody is. But for for just a, a quick second here, let's go back to 1997 and check out some of the other films that came out. And man, talk about a contrast, because you have Titanic. That was that was a movie, right? Made, made a couple bucks. Kind of took you know, over the entire year of just a little like, bit. Like I remember when I watched Titanic, it was the first and only movie in history where our movie theaters overbooked. 
So I actually sat on the floor. It was hundreds of people in the movie theater. That sounds awful. Oh, it was like, horrible. I hated sitting it. on a floor for three hours yeah, sounds bad enough, but like a, a yeah. dirty, sticky movie theater floor. They charged you for that? Well, wow. yep. good for hey, them. Hey, it's it happened, but there's probably not a lot of evidence. But we also got uh, well, Jackie Brown. There's a lot of evidence on that floor. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. As good as it gets. I love that movie. Uh Goodwill Hunting, Men in Black. That's a good one. Uh Donnie uh Donnie Brasco. Uh let's see here. Oh, Face Off. Man, 1997 Donnie was... Brasco is that like the prequel to Donnie Darko or something? <laughs> I, I guess. Uh, this he is got uh, married, Al Pacino he changed and Johnny his name. I I man, I could have sworn I saw this film, but then I'm looking at it now. Yeah, that came out in 1997. Hey, that's something I got to watch, even if it's not for the podcast. But uh, when we go back to this movie, I would like to start this off with Mr. McNulty. Could you talk to us about who is this majestic man, this international man of mystery known as Austin Powers? Who is he? Who is he? Yeah. You're talking about the actor or the character? And uh, the, the character. I'm not talking <laughs> about that Mike Myers. Who the hell is Mike Myers, Ryan? Talking about Austin Powers, Danger Power. That's true. Well, he is he's supposed to be this international spy, but I like how the the beginning of the movie, like all these girls are are chasing him. So it's like, how much of a spy are you if everyone knows who you are? But I, I think they? that's you know, that's part of the joke, but um, you know, they don't really get too much into it. And I think that's to this movie's strength is they don't spend a lot of time on like details we don't care about. We just know, hey, Austin Powers, he is very much a product of the 60s, having an awesome time being a spy. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of, you know, this was built as like a parody of James Bond movies. And um, it really works to the strength of the movie. It and really does. you're forgetting one important detail, Mr. McNulty, where much like yourself, Austin Powers is a man that women want to be with and <laughs> men want Why to be. Why is this a thing? It's true. Sometimes I like, I wake up and I'm like, am I Ryan today? Nope. Well, no, yeah, I'll try well to I'm a lesser man for it, I guess. Let me tell you, my experience is not at all what you think it is. <laughs> it was a very, it was a very, you know, my my college career. It was not, it was not a very fruitful time. Okay, you know, would you call it groovy, baby? Not really. No. Okay. Can okay. we like you know how you have those title cards at the bottom of the episodes on the video version? Can you change Ryan's to Shagadelic Ryan McNulty? Oh, I, w- I would no. love to. I would love to. <laughs> thank, thank God there's they're PNGs and he can't edit this them is, on the fly. <laughs> this is one of the only episodes, Keith. By the way, so we we got to make this count because it is not often that we could talk about penis pumps and they make absolute sense. Within the context of the episodes that we're covering. It's so, a big day in your life, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Don't finally, don't you you can finally have that conversation, Juan. You, you've been... Uh... <laughs> but, uh, but before we get to the general impressions, what I really appreciated about this film is, as insane as, as it is, I mean, the, the whole thing is that their quick justification to, well, how do we get this guy, you know, that's like decades past... Uh, you know, relevant in in a modern time and have him be out of place. Well, you just freeze the damn guy because he wants to get the other bad guy who, I mean, Dr. Evil, much like Eddie Murphy with uh, some of the movies, it's like Dr. Evil and Austin Powers are both played by Mike Myers. And I thought that's definitely a good dynamic. And, And that was also 90s thing, right? I feel like we also got a couple of TV shows. The Nutty you know, we Professor had the is what you're thinking of. Yeah, for, Nutty for Professor. We had the Olsen twins sometimes where, you know, they both play the same character, but even in movies, they would play yeah, the that parent in. trap where Lindsay yeah. Lohan was playing two different characters. Yeah, that was Every the thing. Tyler, oh, was Perry that movie? Mo- Tyler Perry movie where he plays all the characters. <laughs> yeah. Mo- and that's still going. Oh, my oh yeah. With Michael Keaton. Yes, that what was, was the name mul- of that one. Multiplicity, I believe. Yeah. There we go. That that was just like a thing for whatever reason. But having said all of this, Keith. The floor is yours. What was your impression of uh, this first Austin Powers movie, which you mentioned? I mean, you've watched this a ton. 
Mm -hmm. Going back and watching it this time, I feel like I appreciate it on a whole new level. Because much like you guys said when I was a kid, I didn't really get all the jokes. But now going back and being able to appreciate the writing of this movie, like I think that like Mike Myers is just so on point with everything in this movie as far as like how quick the characters are and how um, like when he just throws in those subtle jokes because I I understand that humor is a subjective thing, but you really have something for everybody here as far as humor goes. Like, you have the low-hanging fruit jokes where he pisses for three minutes straight, <laughs> but then if you want to, like, really go into, like, the deeper jokes and the stuff that's there, like, that's there too, then it's very quick to a point where you can miss it or you could be too young to enjoy it. So, in my opinion, that's what makes great comedy. It's the same reason why the Looney Tunes are so excess- or successful, and this is a a very weird comparison i understand that but it's something really that the kids can enjoy and the parents can enjoy and that's kind of the charm of the austin powers movies to me where you can really get there's different levels of getting stuff out of it but you can get as much as you like as much as you can comprehend you can get out of it if this comedy is your uh, your style which it is mine and i love the movie for it and uh, something that I wanted to say, much like you, I have watched the hell out of these movies. I own the VHS tapes, the the, the DVDs, and the Blu-ray trilogy. And uh, this is something that whenever I was cleaning my house, I would either have something like Beverly Hills Ninja with Chris Farley, uh, Black Sheep, or one of these movies. And watching it now, you know, now we have meme culture. And it's so weird how a lot of things, it's like The Office, right? When The Office came out, social media wasn't a thing. But I mean, you could tell somebody that The Office was a TV show that was released two years ago, and they would probably believe it just because it's so relevant. And as I was watching this film, yeah, it's a James Bond parody, but forget about that part. It's like this movie has so many other things that other films and people have copied that you kind of forget, like... Yeah, this is kind of what popularized that. Like all the the way that the jokes are told, this is the the most quotable movie I think I may have ever watched because both of you know, like my memory with films is awful. Like I barely remember a single quote. And this is one of the only films that I'm like, oh, he's about to say that. He's about to say that. And it lets you know whether you like this style of comedy or not. Damn it, that's commendable because writing that has got to be a pain in the ass because you're treading that line. It's like, if you don't succeed at this type of comedy, I mean, this is just awful. And it's definitely a test of its time in 97. I don't think this film holds up nearly as well for maybe somebody watching it now. Like, I would love to see somebody that is 15 years old now watching this film and, and you know, get their reaction. But in your case, Ryan, you're not 15, but you are a sex stallion. So <laughs> being that... Uh, what's your impression about this film? So much like you guys, I've seen this movie, you know, hundreds of times, but it has been a long time since I've actually watched it all the way through and quite a while since I've seen almost any of it. So again, that's why I bring up there was a lot of jokes that I just didn't get back when I watched it that I got now. So it did let me appreciate the writing a lot more. But yeah, definitely echoing Keith when it comes to there is something for everybody because as a kid, I love this movie. And there was a lot I didn't get, but there's enough of the the lowbrow humor in there for a kid to an enjoy, you know a kid to enjoy, and then enough like subtle smart writing for you know adults to enjoy. And I think the the strength of this movie, I mean, it's the it's the Mike Myers style written all over it, obviously, because you know he wrote the movie because you can see very similar jokes to what you would see in the Wayne's World movies Um, and you know some of the stuff he worked on on Saturday Night Live like that style is all there and it it works so well but I think the the biggest strength of this movie is Austin Powers and Dr. Evil there's so much focus on just them as characters and they don't let the plot get in the way. The plot is just the most bare bones, simplest thing in the world. And all the time is dedicated to fleshing out who's Austin Powers and what he's all about and who's Dr. Evil and what he's all about. And that's what makes the movie so fun because it's all about just 
them being fun characters and not letting a plot, a James Bond plot, get in the way of having a good time. But it's almost like the other side of a coin to a James Bond movie where if you look at the basics of just any James Bond movie, it's a character, it's a, it's a movie about James Bond versus villain character. They just took that and turned it into the humor aspect of it instead of like a serious, um, like a serious, uh, plot of taking over the world. He just has a drill that penetrates it this time. But, it's what makes this movie not just a good movie, but also a good parody movie. Like, I think that's one of the most underrated aspects of just how well they nail the fact that they are a James Bond parody in this first one. They kind of lose that in the second and third one as they become yeah. their own thing. But in this one, like, it is the perfect James Bond parody slash British television parody. Like, it just oozes that and it does such a good job with it. No, and something that's so incredible about it is, yeah, you do have your two main characters in uh, Austin Powers and Dr. Evil, but every other character, even Will Ferrell, who's in the film for like three minutes, maybe. I would I've like to point out that, uh, like I said, I've seen this movie a hundred times. I did not realize that Will Ferrell was in this movie until <laughs> oh, really? watching oh, yeah. it last night. <laughs> it blew my how, how mind. How blown away were you when you're like, I've seen this so many times and now I get it? Me and my fiance were on the couch. We're like, what the hell is that Will Ferrell? Yeah. And then he had to Google still, it. And sure enough, he was still on Saturday Night Live on the at the time. So he wasn't like this big name yet. Um, so mm -hmm. I think a lot of people just kind of forget because it was before like his movie career really took off. And I think that's another thing that's so special about a lot of these comedy films where you watch some actors that, you know, like I'm not the biggest Will Ferrell fan, but I love Anchorman. But even then, it's still Will Ferrell. And here he is playing a nobody, right? Like his character is basically a nobody. He kind of appreciated it because he's actually, he's finally not playing that Will Ferrell character that he always true. plays, true. you know? <laughs> so going back a little bit, because I feel like a lot of these films, you know, like I mentioned, you know, I love Chris Farley, even though I didn't really watch SNL. I didn't have a lot of access to that. So aside from the characters and the actors that I saw on the big screen, I really wasn't like too familiar with all of these guys with Mike Myers, which was it a case that you knew him before Austin Powers? I know we were a lot younger, right? So it's like it wasn't maybe as, as accessible, but did you know about him or was it a result of, hey, here's Austin Powers? Oh, the actor's name is Mike Myers. I had seen the Wayne's World movies as a kid as well. So I was aware of Mike Myers and um, my, you know, my dad showed me a lot of SNL stuff too. So uh, I was pretty familiar with him. Uh, and I just kind of want to say, I was thinking about this after watching the movie of like, I feel like Mike Myers is kind of underrated because I know he had some real stinkers yeah, after. I'm going to say that he is exactly where he needs to be in the grand scheme <laughs> but of things. I just want to, like, if you think about it, right, he's played three iconic characters, right? You have Wayne in Wayne's World, you have voicing Shrek, and then you have Austin Powers. You would think mm -hmm. he would be like a bigger star you know what i mean just give in to it's that but, and at he's the time part of he was. like three really successful franchises like at a time he was like i feel like you kind of have to talk about mike myers and we'll probably get to this in that episode if we do it but it's kind of post gold member us or uh, mike myers and pre-gold member mike myers where everything kind of just jump like cliff dove after that movie because that's when you started to get the love guru that's and the, trash the like that movie. <laughs> and like that's why i say that i think he's exactly where he needs to be because before all of that happened like absolutely i would put him in the late 90s early 2000s as the top tv and movie comedians of all time from his snl career in these great movies that you mentioned but it just something something happened and lost a lot of points between now and then actually i'm gonna say something a little bit different where you know sometimes i bring up the whole wrestling analogy because we are wrestling fans where sometimes you'll watch an older show you're like oh man this guy was not popular then but he will be huge now i feel like in the social media youtube era if if all of this came out now first of all it, it would not be the the way this film was 
But Mike Myers and his style of comedy, it's like uh, uh, Jeff Dunham, but good. And, and like Dane Cook, but good, right? Yeah, Because I, I do put him in a similar category. But think about how far ahead of time Mike Myers was. Like, I mean, I, I'm pushing like a decade afterwards with some of these guys. And I think that it was just a testament of you saw these films. And I think what Keith you know, brought up a good point. And for context, we will be reviewing all three Austin Powers films uh, throughout the year. Not necessarily back-to-back in terms of podcast episodes, but it is an interesting topic where a gold member, even though I don't think it was a bad movie, I mean, I haven't watched it in a long time, even when it came out, I'm like, I don't feel this was all that necessary. Now, going back to, to this movie as a whole, I mean, even just scrolling down the cast, you know, you have Elizabeth Hurley playing Vanessa Kensington, and I mean... When you think a lot about like these popular female uh, protagonists in films, like Elizabeth Hurley was in a whole lot of stuff that I remember watching uh, growing up. What did you think about her dynamic as, which was weird because she plays the daughter of the original crush that Austin Powers had on, but then he wants to shag her, but then he also wanted to shag her mom. And that was a little weird for me, even, even now, but. Time what do you travel. think about this ride? You got to know about this stuff. Yeah, time, I guess there's some sort of justification with time travel because technically Austin Powers has an age. They don't really get into it. And I think that's probably for the best. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yep, that, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting a little more work with me here, Ryan. Nope. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's true, though. It's true, though. But then another person that is just so interesting knowing who he became is a Seth Green who looks like he's 10 years old in this film playing Scott Evil and his character even though he is very he he's not in the film for a long time I do think he's the best character or the best arc in this film because it's as you mentioned Ryan the film doesn't give a damn about its plot it gives a damn about the characters but then in a thing that nobody needs hey guess what Dr Evil you have a son and then how does this guy with like no social skills, you know, he tries to develop the relationship. They go to family therapy, which I freaking love that scene so much. Like, <laughs> well, I, I so can't just pick one that's favorite Fisher scene between too, Scott and scene, Dr. Evil. It, it is. It's Carrie Fisher who's playing the yeah, therapist. Yeah. yeah. Which is amazing. I mean, it's like yeah. freaking Carrie Fisher this. What? Just unbelievable. And every scene, even when they're trying to like hug and Dr. Evil's like, come on, come on. And he's like, cool. I'm like, oh man, this is so cringy, but it's the good cringe, right? I think it Dr. Is. Evil is the definition of good cringe for me. What about you guys and, and your take on Dr. Evil? To, to stick with Scott for a second there, because it kind of goes into my Dr. Evil thoughts is I love Scott is a character that, that this movie needed because a lot of times in these parody movies, it's kind of like everybody's in on the joke and everybody's working towards just making it the most ridiculous thing possible. I love how Scott was pretty much the exact opposite of all that, where he was like the grounded character in these movies, where he's just a he's a crappy teenager who happens to have a weird psychopathic father. And the scene that really, uh, like... Um, really fulfills that for me is when Austin and uh, or Vanessa. Austin is and Vanessa, thank you, were in that like shark cage, the shark ring, and Doctor Evil's like, "I'm going to kill you with my overly elaborate shark tank with laser beams," and Scott's just like, "Well, well let me just get my gun." Like, yeah. that's that's what should happen in that. You should shoot your <laughs> arch nemesis. But no, you need the sharks with freaking laser beams attached no, to and their they heads. actually top it off because they could have left it there. But then the doors are closing and Scott is about to freaking lose it. Just like, you don't even want to watch him. It's like, no. Yeah. No, I'm sure it'll go. Yeah, he's like, I'm we're sure just going to close the door and assume everything went <laughs> according to plan, you know. And he's he was the perfect, much like their relationship that they establish in the movie, like he's the perfect anti-Dr. Evil, where everything that's so over the top about Dr. Evil is just the total opposite with Scott. And I think that's why it just works so well together, because the movie needed both, just because everything was just 
so like high up there with insanity with the rest of the movie and then you just have scott way down there yeah no it's a good dynamic because you know austin powers and dr evil are not they're in basically separate through most of the movie so scott's kind of like that good foil to also just point out the absurdities of like typical movie villains and the stupid decisions that they do so just having someone there that's pointing it out and kind of having that perspective of like what the audience would be thinking uh it just definitely adds a lot it really does and so many other things about this movie are just dumb fun i think if if there's another way to just describe this movie as dumb fun because when you guys talked about the fact that there's some jokes that are definitely for adults, but then there's other jokes and characters that were made for kids. I mean, number two, forget number two. And I remember as a kid, I would cry in that in that bathroom scene because it is so outrageous. You have Tom freaking Arnold showing up. Even yeah, as a 30-year-old man, that bathroom scene is my favorite part of that movie. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so many things about that is quotable or like there, there's layers <laughs> upon layers in that scene. What what stuck out to you guys in that whole process between Mr. Charms, the uh Tom Arnold, like the whole process? <laughs> it's because that is something that would happen in a James Bond movie where somebody is trying to get him in a bathroom. I'm pretty sure that is something that has actually happened in a spy movie or James Bond movie, but just being able to look at the ridiculousness of it from everyone around it, like the whole trying to kill someone and them grunting and it sounds like they're trying to take a dump and you oh, have the other person. How about a courtesy person. flush, Keith? How about a courtesy <laughs> flush? Exactly. Like, and then when he's yelling, who does number two work yeah. for? And Tom Arnold's just like, yeah, you, like, you tell him, buddy. <laughs> you show who's boss. It's just so the, good. Yeah, I, for some reason, I never forget the line where Tom Arnold's like, he's like, grab a hold of something, bite your lip and give it hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, just like so the end. Like, Jesus, man, what did you eat? Like, yeah. That doesn't how? <laughs> doesn't make how? sense. <laughs> <laughs> you don't just shit a person, man. That I know. Yeah. I mean, that I know. Of. That yep. could be a thing. Poop, poop jokes are funny to us, you know. It is. They it are. doesn't they get are. much better. Now, number two did have a colleague, a comrade that throughout the film she gets involved in persuasive ways and. I forget her name. What, 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 what's Frau her name, Ron? Is now or whatever, right? Is no, that, you're talking right? about Halata for China. Oh, exactly. Wow. It's like, right? How really could you forget about, about that how name? you say that? <laughs> Halata for China. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So with that, like, what did you guys think about the whole dynamic of them incorporating more characters and and, and just more characters, and then? As the film progresses, something that I love is that it does get surprisingly serious because with all these characters they, that they insert, you can tell that Austin Powers is aware that, wow, I am horrifically out of place, right? From the teeth and the fact that Vanessa keeps calling him out on it to the clothes, you know, he says like, oh, I'm English, but then everybody's pretending like he's, it, it almost like he's a clown, right? It's, it's like a parody of an English person. What did you think of that evolution as they introduce more characters into the film? I mean, that's kind of what <laughs> I mean, separates, yeah. <laughs> and we're going from the poop jokes to a serious conversation. I kind of need to get my bearings here for a second, but... That to me is what separates a like an a good movie from a great movie. The fact that you have all of these jokes and we just sat here laughing about one scene for the last five minutes, but all of that stuff is happening around it. There's like real character development and serious moments that happen throughout the movie to make those characters progress. Like that's what separates something like an Austin Powers from one of those dumpster movies, like a scary movie or an American Pie as an example, where you have these you have this character development and not all of it is for the like for the sake of making a joke or getting to the next joke like it almost works against that as you progress in the movie because i kind of that was my 
biggest takeaway from it, like this movie really front loads its humor. And it, it there's kind of like a halfway point pretty much when they get to the uh, the secret underground base that it becomes a movie at that point where it's not just the joke factory anymore. And we're kind of developing the <laughs> plot of Dr. Evil in his like plastic suit falling, <laughs> falling <everywhere>. off <laughs> his chair that's true like the, the humor is still there don't get me wrong yeah. but it takes a back seat at that point in the movie and i think that's cool because i think if it would have just kept going at the pace it was going at the beginning of the movie humor wise it probably would have burned out because this is a really quick movie yeah. where the stuff happens very very fast in it so i feel like a lot of that would have been lost especially humor wise and i I think it was a really smart choice that they did that. And I think, uh, obviously, I didn't watch a lot of SNL as a kid, but I think one of uh, Mike Myers' benefits with SNL is that I I love a lot of improv. And I've been, I've seen like live improv, you know, where they're changing the scenery and all that. And this kind of feels like that because notice that this movie has a lot of specific places, even the bathroom scene, right? It's like the bathroom scene has a purpose, but then there's the scene with the female robots, but it's got like a bed in the background. It's a very visual thing. Even the shark tank, which aren't, aren't even like sharks, right? It's like everything has a set piece. And I think it comes a lot of, it, it becomes like as a result of that, you know, experience with like improv and all that stuff. And it makes it a memorable film. And it's like easily digestible because as you mentioned, it never stops. But yeah, it never it, it it's has like a, good a really pace good way. and a good balance of it, it has a good balance of the I mean there's not really like action, but it's like the minor action that it needs. It doesn't go over the top. It doesn't try to make Austin Power you know, if Austin Powers came out and today, he'd be doing like crazy like slow motion driving through a building to another building and all this over that like they don't go crazy with the action the biggest thing he does is do that flip into his car and he hits his nuts judo flip (laughs) so uh you know they put just the bare minimum of action needed to to have it be like a james bond movie and spent the rest on just making it fun and i think like the whole fun kind of first mentality is why it's successful i agree so we've talked about a lot of different scenes in the film and like it's such a such a funny and positive film as far as you just have like a good time what are other scenes that we haven't brought up that you're, that you're just like, man, I I love going back and remembering and reliving this scene? Because I, I can think of two. I'll, I'll, I'll start with this. It's It happens twice. It's uh, first they're at that party at the beginning where he punches a woman and then it, that's not a uh. woman. That's a man, baby. But then they're in the freaking spy room and then he punches the man's uh, a mom he's like that's a man well it's pretty masculine it's like you just you just punch somebody's mother and then you're just like double dipping on that and it's just incredible but again that's something that they use that's a funny moment that they use for like a serious plot line because it's something that like in the 60s or in the 70s austin powers is like boom i get it yeah that is the that is an undercover agent but him being out of place now in 1997 that's when he punches basil exposition's mom right in the yeah. face so it, it was it's like yeah everything storytelling that wor- yeah everything that worked for him in the 60s when he was in his prime and he was the coolest thing all of a sudden it's going wrong in the 90s because he's out of place so it was a good way of having humor but also telling that to the audience that you know he still hasn't adjusted to the current day another scene that I can't remember if this was if Austin Powers made this a thing, and maybe you guys can fill this in, or anybody watching or listening. That penis pump uh, scene, and more than just like the penis pump, I'm just like trying to get that out there, right? But it's one of those scenes where the actor denies, right? That the actor denies that it is his, but it's like, oh, the penis pump, but then you have the certificate. Oh, then you wrote a book specifically pointing out that that is your thing and i was laughing but at the same time i kept thinking to myself like was was austin powers the film that either made that a thing popularized it where the character like the more that they are in denial there's just like a lot more evidence i mean i i think 
that's just like a classic kind of comedy thing that I'm sure there's been a million different sketches, but um, I, I, I think it's just kind of, you know, how you use that and how you make it your own. Cause I think there's plenty of like these comedy scenarios that people have put together, but it's, it's how, you know, it's the Mike Myers style that makes it what it is. Some of the things about the movie though, that were kind of weird for me was just because like all the Austin Powers quotes were just like beaten to death over like just people would use them for soundboards on like radio stations and like you know it took over pop culture for so long that it was almost weird to hear it again yep. because yeah. you've heard it in so many other places so many times that it's like it feels a little dated, even though it's like no fault of the movie. It's really just because it took over for so long that it just it feels that way. Yeah, I, I ran into a similar issue watching it as I did when I watched Empire Strikes Back on the show last year, where I knew the line was about to happen before they actually said it, just because pop culture had beaten it to death at that point, especially these and especially in this internet age where you have the things like Shag or like Shagadelic, like soundboards where you have the do I make you horny baby constantly out there and yeah, a lot of the time the quote and that kind of falls in like the lowbrow humor part of this movie was just like pop cultured to death for lack of a better term but it was nice because that gave me more appreciation for the highbrow humor of the movie and i think that's also a problem maybe leading to Goldmember because this gets way worse from here no and, and and that's i think that's the challenge and you know we'll I'll forever keep bringing up terminator as the example because once again like we watched all of them where once you did it and you did it maybe to the to the best that you can possibly do it any other time that you try and do it it just falls short and there's a good reason that this movie is quotable. And I forget which other film we did review in, in the podcast where we said, we said a similar thing. This is so quotable that we almost see that as a negative part of the film. But that's no fault of the film. It's just a result of, hey, it was a damn good film, highly quotable. That's the whole process, right? And, and not to mention, this film is just so visually stunning to look at. I mean, every single character has a definitive costume, right? You know, even when they get kidnapped, the fact that Dr. Evil's like, you know, do you like your futuristic paper <laughs> bag type, you know, silver outfits? But it's all the little details. They could have just done really good characters, and I don't think that would have been enough. It's the fact that visually, they really took that to the next level in almost every scene, whether it be, you know, even when you have the robots with like, the nipples that kill people, like, you have the that, fem-bots. right? The fembots, get it Ex- right, Exactly, please. the fembots. But you create such a great ambience, and it's the fact that he's got, you know, the, the, that super thick, extra thick uh, uh, front hair, right? Like chest yeah. hair. That really sells the, the whole purpose of the movie for me. It, it is all about <laughs> the, the chest hair. It all, it all comes you know, back to the, the chest secret, hair. The secret lies in the chest hair. It really hair. is. <laughs> and that's where... <laughs> what? And then like, there okay, you go. The secret, if, that's... Hey, I was I was actually going to ask you, Ryan. So you mentioned that this movie does have a couple of jokes that maybe a kid wouldn't get, and yeah. you got more as an adult. Could you provide an example there? <laughs> really? Yeah, of course. Really, uh, um, put them on the this spot. Is it. Yeah. This is Good it. lord. Okay, so the I'll one, give you. Or no, do you have one? Because I do I have can, one. I can I stall have for one. you if you need to. Okay. <laughs> so the one that I definitely <laughs> didn't get was when uh, a lot of vaginas said oh like in japan japanese culture like the man comes first and then the woman and then mike myers said or sometimes not at all and like i as a kid i did like that just went right over my head and probably rightfully so (laughs) yeah yeah, one that really stuck out to me was, and it was more of like a moment, was the whole uh, when Dr. Evil gets, uh, or when he's unfrozen and he's going through his plans and he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll make a scandal and Prince Charles needs to get divorced. I'm like, oh, this is 1997. That's the same year Diana died. That's a rough oh, yeah. choice. So that one, that one really stuck out to me this time. 
Are there any other things about the movie? We focus mostly on on the positives, but every film, you know, no, doesn't matter how good it is, always has this one part that's just like, that doesn't hold up. And, and that, you made a good case right now with what you just brought up. But in addition to that, is there something else that you're just thinking to yourself, maybe that was great for 97 for now, it just doesn't hold up all that well? And now we get to the embarrassing story that I teased earlier Ooh. where... Oh, yeah. Ryan, get the loop. What? <laughs> Sorry. No, what? <laughs> what? We're kicking you off this podcast I after I, this. I, I feel happy. Uh, this is 100% a me thing, but it's really, really hard for me to go back and watch that hot tub scene because from what I can remember, I'm pretty sure a lot of Fachinas was little Mr. Hamilton's first, uh, first, you know, doing. Oh, oh <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's weird. It's really weird to think You'll about that. You'll never forget those floaty boobs, will you? No, I'll never, I'll never forget oh, that a lot yeah. of Fachina. <laughs> huh, that's actually another interesting element. That's not I, a specific what? movie. Where are you going with this? <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm a ghost somewhere with are that. We, are we gonna? Are you gonna share your firsts as well? <laughs> Honestly, I don't remember. Yeah, I really don't. I wouldn't be able but, to tell you. But it is interesting that there's all these films. It's like you know, we brought up Titanic, right? <laughs> in '97, I remember as a kid that was my first time in the movie theater seeing a specific part of the female body that I was not used to seeing on a on a big screen, especially with my family sitting on the floor. Not the best, right? But then there's always these different scenes in films that you're not <laughs> expecting to see some of these parts. And maybe little old Keith, you know, he went ham. That's yeah. what <laughs> well, a part of me went ham, didn't know what to do with it yet, but... <laughs> okay, so... I thought I'd bring up an interesting fact. Somehow I'm mm -hmm. transitioning this. Yeah. Do you so, want to know what the legacy of this movie is? Well, I just told you. <laughs> I mean, the, <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that, that's quite the legacy, man. That's quite the legacy. More power to you, Keith. You know, originally, Dr. Evil was not going to be played by Mike Myers. Who do you think Mike Myers wanted to play the role of Dr. Evil. I have no idea, but I'm going to guess somebody from SNL. A big SNL name. What about uh, you, Ryan? I feel like I might have accidentally read this, but I totally forget who it was. So <laughs> go ahead. Uh, Jim Carrey. Oh, uh, Jim Carrey. Right. Was, I did see okay. that. Okay. Was uh, the person, but he was working on the film Liar Liar, which also came out in 97. I love that film. See, that's, that's another one. We should review Liar Liar and then Yes Man back to back. <laughs> I feel like there's something there. There's something there that could be done. What do you think? I mean, we've seen Jim Carrey play the role of uh, Dr. Eggman now, right? So he didn't do one doctor, but he did become another one. What did you think about it? Hypothetically, if he were to play Dr. Evil, knowing who Jim Carrey is, what he brings to the table, do you think it would have been as memorable? I'm sure no. he would have done a great job because he's a great actor, but it's really hard for me to wrap my head around Mike Myers not playing both those characters because to me, that's such a pivotal part of the series. Yeah, I think Mike Myers' style of humor in the way like Dr. Evil was written, would, it, I don't think Jim Carrey would have been mm -hmm. as good. I, I'm sure he, I think he just would have been very different like because yeah, like, Jim Carrey's style that. is so different. Think about that uh, monologue in the therapy session where he's talking about the hills of Belgium and his and his childhood, like trying to helmets. picture Jim exactly <laughs> in meat helmets and shaving his testicles. <laughs> like thinking about Jim Carrey delivering that, it just seems off. Yeah, I think and it would have been to totally me. written completely different if it was Jim yeah, Carrey. 100%. And I think it, Jim Carrey. I mean, we saw him as the Riddler, right? And oof. So I just don't That's think a good point. him as a villain, like an over the top villain, and that and this would be for a comedy movie. I just don't think it it would have been too over the top. And Doctor Evil, as we'll see in when we cover the the other movies, he gets more and more absurd. But oh, I yeah. think I think Doctor Evil in this movie was like the perfect level of parody James, like parody Bond villain, but not mm -hmm. like way over the top. Agreed. 
So I actually have some follow-up to the comments that Keith made about uh, the uh, uh, the family, uh, the prince. So here, when Dr. Evil suggests blackmailing the royal family about the Prince of Wales, in reality, she had been killed in Paris at the time of the film's release in the United Kingdom. The UK's release of this movie removed the, pre- the reference to Prince Charles since Diana had recently died. However... When the TV channel Sony Pictures Classics ran this film in 2020 in the UK, the dialogue was intact. In 2020, 2020, so, so last year. So, like, holy crap, I, I'm reading this live now. I thought I was going to read, like, 2010 or something. I mean, That's that kind of is incredible. one yeah, of so the most just touchy now subjects. Yeah, so, sure. I totally understandable. Yeah, and then there was another one here that I wanted to read, which was... Uh, the the scene where they talk about the lucky charms i forget her her character name uh, Frau. Uh, mindy sterling is uh, the the actress we have that whole farb yeah frau something like that the whole line about like they're always after her lucky charms and he she's talking about the serial that was completely improvised which actually makes a lot of sense because the pacing in that scene was a little bit different everybody was a lot more quick driven if you notice there, it's like there were more pauses and you could tell that the actors were, they didn't necessarily know what to react to. But I like that because mm-hmm. a yeah. lot of comedy films, their best stuff is sometimes improvised. And the way the way she describes the commercial and how like it's not really how you would describe a lucky shit. Like it's like mm-hmm. a really it weird. It felt real. Yeah. It felt real in a way that a movie script usually doesn't. And yeah. that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. Also, so, uh, I, I never got before when he just, Dr. Evil described Frau as from the militant wing of the Salvation Army, <laughs> which, <laughs> like, I never, I never, like, actually understood that before, but, like, yeah, oh, like I don't funny. know if you have it here, Juan, do you have Salvation Army near uh, yeah, you know yeah. what that? Oh, okay. Yeah. So you yeah. know it's like a charity. Thing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's like a thrift. Okay. Yeah, the charity just, stuff. Yeah. Oh, that, that's another one that I didn't get until yeah. last night watching it. And God, it was so funny. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm, what, I'm reading my, what something other here that favorite, just like subtle jokes, um, is when number two is going over the the like. Oh, we have like shipping in Texas, and you know this happening in california and then we have in chicago a mini uh, like a factory which makes miniature models of other factories naturally yeah <laughs> i mean of course of yeah. course man this is this is an interesting topic to close on uh daniel craig the sixth actor to play james bond went on to record to say Austin Powers messed up the James Bond film franchise. The producers feared people would not be able to take James Bond seriously after Austin Powers mocked the campy nature of the series. This led to the darker and grittier Casino Royale reboot. What's like your general reaction? Though, agree or disagree? It is true in, in many ways. Because oh, yeah. I did not take James Bond seriously after watching Austin Powers, so... He's not wrong. It's He's not wrong. And I think that if they looked at Austin Powers and that was their impression, I think they were maybe up their own ass a little too much. But hey, I love Casino Royale, so I guess it kind of worked out Thank for Mike them. Myers. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Ryan? Well, yeah, I was going to say is like that it like that trilogy, the Austin Powers trilogy took over pop culture during that time. And it was just so like ingrained in the minds of everyone that if they did try to do the campy James Bond style, people would have just laughed it off. And I think in a way it helped reinvent the the James Bond series and it's better off. It's probably better off for it because that style of action movie, I don't think that would really survive today anyway. Um, so it's for the better really. Because I'm trying to think between those three movies, like there were Bond movies. Because oh, yeah, here we go. yeah, here I we think go. there I was some Pierce Brosnan. Ones. Yeah, released. Yeah, there seven, was two. Yeah, released uh, seven months before the James Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies. Before, I mean, man. Okay, I I can totally see why that would be a problem for James Bond films. Because then this comes out, James Bond comes out after, and you kind of just like mocked that, and it became a hit. So I I can see why that would happen, and. And I guess like uh, to, to get your, your closing thoughts about this here is that 
even though it is a comedy film and James Bond is very different in terms of tone, you get a lot of the same stuff because you get gadgets, you get the girl, you get the plot, even though it's delivered differently, both films in a weird way can satisfy the need of, I want an espionage or international spy movie. The pacing is worse and all that, but the pieces that are, are, are still there. Like, do you guys sort of get what I mean? Because that's how I feel. Because if you were to ask me right now, you know, if I were to watch GoldenEye or I were to watch Austin Powers and I just want to have a good time, both give me a, a witty, you know, in, investigative person that's going to get out of different scenarios. He's going to get the girl. He's going to try to get the bad guy. I'm going to go with the one that makes me laugh more. That's my example. But what did you guys think about that? possible interlaced process between both i mean i think austin powers it's like first and foremost a comedy but i mean i agree with you i'd i would probably rather watch austin powers than any james bond movie to to be completely honest i mean i haven't seen a lot of the daniel craig ones to be fair um but as far as you know like goldeneye like goldeneye is a decent movie but i i don't like I don't. It's it's just okay to me. Like I, I liked it a lot more back in the day because of the Nintendo sixty four game. But really, uh, most of the time, I don't really find James Bond movies that interesting to watch. So um, I would just rather like I, I would get enough from Austin Powers and not need to really dive too far into James Bond. That's just my opinion though, because I'm not. I've just never been huge on the series. And I to me that just t- speaks to how good of a James Bond parody this movie is. The fact that it took its source material and made a arguably better version of it. Like, that's just how... That's the biggest praise you could give a movie like this as far as I'm concerned. So, to summarize, Austin Powers is the Oreo of the film series. Because for those who don't know, and actually know this without looking it up because I love me some food, Oreos, those cookies that we all love... They were not the original cookie. They were actually the ripoff of another cookie, which that name I forgot, but it became so popular that it made the original cookie look sort of dull. Man, talk about getting the short end of the stick there. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really terrible name. Let me see. Like, uh, I want to look that up now. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's like, we can't leave people hanging with that information, man. The original Oreo cookie. Oh, Hydrox? Was that it? And that is why Oreos won. Yeah, yeah. It, okay. sounds like, it. it sounds like a cleaning solution, not a cookie. Yeah. So It sounds like if I want to lose weight, I would take three Hydrops in the morning <laughs> yeah. and go work out. Pretty much. But everybody, uh, as we mentioned, we will be covering the other Austin Power films uh, throughout the year because, you know, last year we covered a large variety of films in terms of sequels. You know, we talked about Home Alone 3. That's available in the archives. Talked about all of the Terminator films. But this is going to be different because with comedy, it's like if it doesn't make you laugh as much as the first, I think it's a lot more noticeable when it is an inferior uh, an inferior film. And we know for a fact, critically, that was definitely the case. But let us know what you thought about Austin Powers 1 by dropping a comment and subscribing on YouTube. If you like what we do, uh, the best way to support us is by leaving that five-star review on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can share clips that we post on Twitter, A Cast of the Past, and once again, join the Discord at acastofthepast.com slash Discord. So that's going to be doing it for another exciting episode of A Cast to the Past, baby. Yeah. Yeah, baby. Okay, Ryan, how many penis pumps have you actually used? I'm cutting this out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) 